2: Good evening, Steeler fans. Welcome to another Wednesday night here on Behind the Steel Curtain Radio. It's Wednesday night. It's time again for the Curtain Call podcast. I'm Jeffrey Benedict. Here with me, as always, Shannon White. Shannon, how you doing?
3: I'm doing all right this evening, GB.
2: How about you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You you sound a little little under the weather.
3: Are yes, you, uh... I'm a little bit. Yes.
2: All right. So we'll, we'll get <laughs> we'll get a little bit more of a subdued Shannon tonight. <laughs> Hopefully not get him too riled up, uh, but tonight, tonight we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff. Tonight we're digging into the coaching staff. This first half of the show we're going to try and focus on the defense. You want to hear about the offense? Stick around for uh, later. We'll be we'll be talking about them too. One thing I, I, I found interesting, Shannon, looking through the the defensive uh, coaches, is beyond Terrell Austin they have five position coaches listed five guys with a position that they coach listed next to them. Three of them are linebackers. You have Carl Dunbar on defensive line, Grady Brown in the secondary. You have Brian Flores, who is listed as a linebackers coach, Jerry Olsofsky listed as an inside linebackers coach, and Denzel Martin listed as an outside linebacker assistant coach. Now, Shannon, is 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 uh, is TJ Watt that hard to keep up with? That they need three coaches to coach the Steelers linebackers.
3: What's going on there? Actually, as we was talking before the show, it, it's crazy how small the the coaching staff is for the Steelers compared to, yeah. you know, if you look at all these other teams, they've got an assistant to the assistant, and and you know, uh, what you know
2: the guy the guy that hits play.
3: Yeah, button in the film exactly. room and they
2: got another guy here that pauses it. Like, <laughs> I, I know, it's like huge. You got assistants and interns everywhere.
3: You look at the, the like on Hard Knocks, I always like to kind of see how other organizations are behind the scenes. Of course, we don't, we've never got to see the Steelers and I know they don't want to be on Hard Knocks, but, you know, just the teams we've witnessed, there's been a lot of variety there. Uh, like the Detroit Lions, they had a, a, a good size coaching staff but the Cowboys mm-hmm. was bigger than theirs. I mean, their team pitcher, they had a team pitcher just for the coaches. Yep. So, you know, like I said, the Steelers didn't be like, you know, you could take it with your cell phone. So it's uh, a backyard barbecue. Exactly. It's totally different. But um, I think it's obvious. We, we all thought Brian Flores would be the pass rush coordinator, you yeah. know, which I think that that he did a good job when he had Watt, you know, where you know, they have to have him. He's, he's that critical for that pass rush, But, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't blitz as much as I thought he didn't do some of the zero coverages and stuff that he likes to do, but I don't think he felt comfortable with the secondary to hold up in a lot of those situations. Yeah. Um, but we see the variety as the season went on and, um, and, you know, we love Jerry O. Oshowski's just a, he was just a, a, you know, tough as nails, uh, glue guy like Robert Spillane. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he had that, he was a quality backup. You could count on him. And, and I think that he really connects with guys like Spillane and Mark Robinson. So I'm really glad that they have him, you know, uh, to not only coach him, but to provide that insight and that experience that he had as a guy who was, you know, not prototypical size, speed, you know, strength. So, um, I've been happy with the Steelers, uh, defensive coaches, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, because as we've said, you know, Tomlin's really kind of the head defensive coordinator, if we're being yeah. honest. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: like you could, you if you want to, you can kind of break it down like Brian Flores, front seven pass rush type of coordinator, uh, Terrell Austin, coverage coordinator, Mike Tomlin, defensive like guy, yeah. like yeah. he's the guy, you know, but he always talks about it. They're in the room. Everyone gets a say. Mm-hmm. He wants to work with everyone. He wants to understand, hey, what do you think this group is capable? How would they play best to their strengths? And then we're going to work it together and try and come up with the plan that is the best for the whole defense. That's everyone involved. That's everyone involved. And I, I think uh, I think Mike Tomlin, much more than a defensive coordinator, is, is, is the, the overarching philosophy guy, whereas like Terrell Austin might be designing the schemes – uh, design that, you know like but and in in that regard you know if you're hearing from Brian Flores and Terrell Austin maybe maybe Tomlin is the right person to call the defense you know like i don't know i i i find the defense very interesting how the steelers do it as kind of a group almost effort uh with with a very small number of guys and everyone's hand is in the in the pile
3: i think it works I think that the I would like to see him be a little more scheme dependent and less superstar dependent, Um, you know, because those injuries can happen. Uh, It's inevitable, you know, especially on defense. And, you know, we've seen it when Hayward's out for any, you know, the defense aid is good. Uh, When if say it's high Smith, say Fitzpatrick. But, you know, with Watts out, it's. You know they've won what one game ever when he's not played the you yep. know at least seventy percent or whatever. Um I'd like to see them get to where, but they need more depth. Obviously, if they have better yeah. quality depth and and a stronger secondary, I think that they can do that because we know that Tomlin is a good defensive coach. We know Flores what he can do. Um, you know I know that they can if they have the horses they can make this run, but. They've they've been top heavy on both sides of the ball for a while. Uh either they're good on offense and they're not as good on defense or vice versa. But they've also been like we got three or four stars, and then you know, we got some areas that ain't quite up to snuff. And if you watch these the, the teams that's in the Super Bowl, uh especially the Eagles, I mean they do not have a weak spot. I mean, they are solid across the board and they go too deep everywhere. And that's just, that's just really, really impressive. Now they also have hurts on a, on his rookie deal and, you know, and then he's turning into being, he's not that upper echelon elite quarterback yet, but he's right there. I mean, he's in a, you know, in the MVP running. So he's had an incredible season. And so, you know, it's all coming together for them. And, uh, but that's the model I'd like to see the stores look at. And, uh, the coaches matter. I mean, we've seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why you know we just see what the uh, Denver Broncos did and give up to get Sean Payton. You know they're tired of messing around. They ain't playing around anymore. Uh, yeah. They realize to make that whole Russell Wilson investment worth it, they got to get a coach.
2: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me because uh, the Denver situation. It's going to be great to watch because Russell Wilson's never had a real offensive guru type of coach. Mm-hmm. Never had that guy, and now he's oh, yeah. going to. It's going to be very interesting to see. That's a lot is going to be riding on that connection between Peyton and Russell. It'll be It'll Russell Wilson. It'll be really interesting to see how that works out. Again, we had a comment uh, from Jennifer in our live chat here. I loved how Kenny Pickett said he learned a lot from Flores. Uh, there was an article, Kenny Pickett was talking about how he would pick Brian Flores' brain about what the defense is doing and what they're trying to do and, and all that stuff. Very, It's, it's very interesting to me. Like, like, they go straight across the board, and I love the idea that Kenny Pickett would go, you know, to the defensive coaches and be like, look, mm-hmm. what are they doing here? And you've got a guy who really gets, you know, how pressure works, how defensive works with pressure uh, at the level Brian Flores has shown he gets uh, that you that's, – that's really valuable. Uh, I wanted to put that up there. Well, Talking think about that, okay, that, you know,
3: one thing a, a really good defensive coordinator, uh, like a Brian Flores, does is they create mass confusion, mm-hmm. and it, it's really simple. I mean, it looks really intricate, and everybody has to do their jobs, and you know, there's 11 moving pieces, and but it really comes down to causing confusion. And if you could cause confusion for the offense, especially the quarterback, for a couple of seconds. You know, your pass rush usually will get there. You know, yeah. if you've got that that talent, that quality. So uh to me, that shows that Pickett a level of maturity you usually don't see in a rookie quarterback. I, I mean, there's some benefits to him being twenty four, and that he's more of an adult and he's like, Hey, I, I want to learn what his team's trying to do to me, and I can go to a guy who's renowned for creating mass confusion for quarterbacks. To me, that that's brilliant. I mean, that's just um, why would you not? Why yeah. would you not take advantage of having that gallon staff?
2: Absolutely. Uh there there's a big question on the defense. Is Brian Flores going to be on this staff next year? I I've said for a bit here, I kind of think he is. Uh, I don't I don't want to get into like conspiracy theories or, or build mm-hmm. too much on this, but businesses are cautious, they always are. They're always cautious. And you've got a guy who went against ownership. And owners are going to be really cautious before stepping in and hiring a guy who turned on his ownership. Because, okay, Miami, they may have terrible ownership, but that ownership is still there. And they're not the only (laughs) lousy ownership in the (laughs) NFL. The NFL is a lot of teams that are not run well, a whole lot of them. And a lot of the teams that are looking for coaches all the time, they're not the ones who are run well. Mm-hmm. So I think you're gonna see a lot of owners shy away from him. I I I really I put the odds earlier at like 40%, he'd come back. He'd end up back just because people are gonna want to hire someone else. Uh and uh I'm 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 taking that higher now. I'm thinking probably 50% odds. I think it's 50-50 odds that Brian Flores is here next year, and every day he's here. And every coaching staff position that gets filled is one step forward closer to Brian Flores being a Pittsburgh Steeler next season. What do you think about that, Shannon? Do you think... uh, I'm
3: thinking 50-50.
2: you think about that now?
3: Yeah, I think about 50-50 is probably right. You know, anytime you get a a stigma, you know, Mm -hmm. attached to your name, uh, you know, if what he said, you know, without going into everything, is true and, and, you know, it, it, makes sense then, you know, people, that's not how the NFL wants to conduct business. Yep. And so, but the fact that he did say something about it, then it, it's going to take people to, a little while to forget. And then the more success he has in Pittsburgh, which hopefully he comes back because if he's here two years and he gets a head coach position, the Steelers get draft compensation. And I, yep. that would be awesome if he didn't stay on full time. Uh, but if we leaves this year, stores get nothing. They just lose a good coordinator. So I would, I would like to see him return. And, you know, time has a way of, uh, you know, healing old wounds that people forget, you know, they're like, Hey, we know how talented he is. And, you know, that's something that would have to be discussed in the interviews and the meetings, uh, you know, like, you know who I am and you know what I will and won't do. So you don't even need to interview me if if you're ever going to ask for me to tank or
2: throw Mm -hmm. games
3: or anything like that. Uh, Certain organizations like the Steelers would value that. That would actually make you more attractive. And if it's one of the other organizations, you don't want to go there anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah, really. That's true. Uh, I want to get into some of the position of coaches here. Is there any position you look at this year Uh, And you look at the talent or you look at the injuries, you look at different situations and you, or you look at development of players on the defense and you say that position kind of stands out from a, like what what you would expect a position coach to do. Obviously we don't know Mm -hmm. what coaches had what impact on what, but is there any uh, positions you saw that you could say, wow, like this player really stepped up or these group of players really, you know, played better this season?
3: Well, you know, we all love Dunbar. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he he just does a great job. Uh, you just see growth from his guys. Uh, you know, as long as he has the talent to work with. You know, I was shocked that Loudermilk didn't progress more. But he started out the year with some injury issues, and and then he didn't get a lot of playing time because they all beat him out. And so this is a big offseason for him. But mm-hmm. usually if you get a guy, you give Dunbar a guy with talent, they're going to improve yeah. uh, consistently during the season. Uh, inside linebackers, I just think Yosavsky didn't have a lot to work with. You know, Mark Robinson is talented, but he's incredibly raw. Robert Spillane is, you know, he's everything you'd want, uh, except he's not that athletic. Yeah. But he's, he's, he keeps getting better and better and learning how to play through his limitations. But I guess the position, the secondary... I mean, Cam Sutton had a career year, and I understand it was a contract year, but you still have to execute. He looked yep. he looked better fundamentally uh, than he's ever looked. Um, then when Wallace first came in, it was an adjustment period because Wallace didn't look real good those first yeah, Andy, few weeks. Yeah, and
2: he was hurt. He was banged yeah, up there. Yeah, he was also too. dealing with
3: injury. And, but, man, by the end of the year, I felt very comfortable with Wallace out there. Yeah. Uh, he, he was what I thought he would be. You know, very fundamental, very solid, a good tackler. Um, you know, he, he's uh, he's a lot like Sutton. That, that neither one of them is incredibly athletic, but they're very intelligent and fundamentally sound. So, um, so I thought that uh, you know Brown did an excellent job with what with you know because Pierre's progressed as well, and mm-hmm. you have to give Austin some credit there too. We you know because Austin's worked with him and all, but Pierre has his own limitations. But, you know, as long as he can, if, they, if he stays focused, uh, Pierre is an excellent tackler. He's maybe the most physical corner they got. Uh, and he is very good in zone. Uh, and, you know, where you take a guy that was undrafted and he gave him some really good minutes. So I think across the board, uh, Brown did a really good job with that secondary.
2: Yeah, I agree with you on the secondary. Uh, you're, you said James Pierre. I mean, they had what, Josh Johnson? Yep, played yep. against about, Tampa yeah. Bay and that game. Yeah. The, the only game they've won without TJ Watt in like, like forever since they signed, let's say, since drafted him, like they, you yeah. know, they don't win without TJ Watt playing. That's the one they did win, and they had every secondary player playing.
3: Are you uh, saying Johnson's the missing link?
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, only, if only Keith Butler and, and Dick LeBeau had known all those years, yeah, that's right. That's right. how you that's that's beat right. Tom Brady, you got to play someone he's. Well, maybe, you know, maybe it's just just play someone he's never seen before.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He doesn't know how to beat him. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, like Terrell Terrell Austin, uh, Grady Brown. You got Mike Tomlin's involved there, too. But since 2019, when Terrell Austin came on board, uh, Grady Brown came in uh, 2021 Mm -hmm. after the 2020 season. uh, This secondary, we've seen a lot of growth. I mean, who was Cameron Sutton in 2018? Yeah, no right. taught, he was nobody <laughs> 2019 by the end of 2019 you're sitting there saying, wow, that guy had a phenomenal season. Mm-hmm. It's, he's going to have to move up. And they were like, yeah, he's going straight from dime back to our number two corner. Uh, mm-hmm. And now we, that's, that's what he is. Um, you've got, I mean, James Perry, we mentioned him, mm-hmm. uh, Levi Wallace came in. He played good by the end of Kella Weatherspoon, had that short stint, came in to start 2022. Looking like he was gonna be really good, uh, and then then injuries, he was done. He he was he mm-hmm. was burnt quite a bit. I don't know the timeline of any injuries like that. I don't know how it works, but he he fell apart. They just kept bouncing back. They had so much time mm-hmm. missed in that secondary, and they kept making it happen. Outside of uh probably their worst game was the Bills game when uh, Terrell Edmonds was out. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was their worst game. But other than that, they had a really good. Secondary
3: did really good. Well, they didn't have Edmonds and Kaze wasn't back yet. Yeah, and you know they had uh, Norwood Ray in there. Norwood. And, and you know so he he just didn't have the speed to to keep up and Davis yep. burned him twice. So uh, I would like to see that game if they had their full complement. I think it would have been a much different game.
2: Right, I I, com- I compare you compare that play where Gabe Davis just runs past. Uh, I don't remember who the defensive back was. It might have been Wallace. Uh, runs past the defensive back, and Trey Norwood tries to cut over, and there's just gone. It's yeah. gone. <laughs> and you compare that to when Tyreek Hill in, against Miami, where Tyreek Hill absolutely roasted Levi Wallace, and they throw it deep, and Trell Edmonds is there step for step with him. Yep, Hill has right to it. come in yeah. a bit, and, Wa- and Edmonds is right there, and uh, Hill has to try and go through Edmonds to get to the ball. It doesn't happen. Edmonds actually, the great thing was Edmonds actually, in on that play, turned around and at least looked for the ball. Uh, normally, he doesn't <laughs> even try. Yeah, but he did that time. Uh, yeah, like is that our is that our our defensive coaching star of the season? Are we gonna go? G- Grady Brown is the best defensive uh, coach this season.
3: Um, I would have to say so. I mean, they led the NFL in interceptions. Yep. Uh, they got a ton of deflections even though they don't play tight man.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: so that, the, you know, he had them in the right place at the right time. They were fundamentally sound. Uh, I think it was the Miami game. They dropped four interceptions. Yep. Uh, you know, legitimate, you know, catchable interceptions. They dropped them. I think Sutton had two that game, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that, that, that was something they were fortunate in the second half of the season to not play top, tier quarterbacks. Um, but again, you still gotta execute. You still gotta do, you know, the, the early in the season when they played your Josh Allens and your uh Jalen Hurts and those guys, they they lit them up pretty bad. But a lot of things changed. It wasn't just the level of the competition. They got Watt back. So but all in all, I think that yeah, I wouldn't say Brown was the defensive uh coach MVP. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah. Any any position you feel like you could look at the coaching and say, say you know what, this, this group doesn't look like it was coached very well. Do you have any group like that on the Steelers in the defense?
3: Okay, I'll stay away from the offense. Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. the uh, defense, no, honestly, I think that they really did a good job, each one with what they had to work with. You know, again, you got to have the horses you yep. know, to run in the race. And um, I think that, that you know, if you look at, I didn't see anybody regress because of coaching. You know, I thought that, that Bush even was more serviceable than he had been the year before. Uh, he just has a limited want to, in my opinion. And a coach can only do so much in that situation. Yep. Uh, so I'll put none of the defensive issues on the coaches staff,
2: Yeah. Like, like, I you've you mentioned Mark Robbins. I think one of the, the cool things is how they were able to get him on the field and mm-hmm. the packages they used, where they really went that four four set, yeah. uh, where they went down to one cornerback, one cornerback Terrell Edmonds lined up on the other side as corner as like the other side corner across from Cameron Sutton. Uh, patricks Fitzpatrick's you know playing safety, and then you've got an, an eight man front with Mark Robinson in there, which really creates a situation where Mark Robinson can be kind of protected in coverage. It makes it a lot harder to pick out and say, this is how we attack Mark Robinson, you know, and we get him isolated on some, it's really hard to do when you've got that kind of formation going on. Uh, You have a lot of flexibility there. So I, I, I applaud him for that. He, he was definitely ready to go uh, for, for limited usage uh, and his coverage. Even his coverage, you you look in college. Yeah, I mean, sure. he's like he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Mm. Uh, you look early in, in like training in preseason; it's getting a little better. By the time they used him in the season, he was
3: nearly serviceable. He right? was at least in the right area code.
2: Yeah, he, like you know, <laughs> he's there, and you'd see like you'd see. What's funny is you would see moments where it seemed like he was like, "Oh, I, I need to be here." Yeah, like yeah, like, yeah. like it would click with him, and he just. He'd like do that and then he'd go flying somewhere. He'd like jerk right, like, oh man. Uh, so I was, I, I liked, I liked seeing that. I think that's a credit. Uh, you got to give credit for the development of Robert Spillane. Uh, Jerry Osadsky came around and Robert Spillane turned into to something, something pretty usable. Uh, oh. Where he came from. Like when he came from Tennessee, he was nobody. Hmm. He was nobody. That first year he was here he becomes, uh, Matt, uh, someone went down. He came in to fill in for them on special teams. And, uh, the second half of the season had more tackles on special teams than Tyler Madikiewicz who tied for the season league in the NFL, mm-hmm. but Spillane had more tackles than him on special teams in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. So I was like, he showed up here and immediately contributed and now he's, One of your better linebackers, one of your more, I shouldn't say better, one of your more reliable linebackers, that's got to count for a lot. Uh, You really,
3: you, you said better linebackers. If you asked me who's the Steelers best middle linebacker right now or inside linebacker, I would say Robert Splane.
2: At the end of the season. Absolutely. I
3: mean, that's why he was playing hundred percent of the snaps and we got to give Vince Williams some credit because with Vince Williams, you know, he's surprised retirement and, Caught us all off guard, you know. He said Robert Splane can take off my position. He could be a starter one day, and I'm like, you know, VW. I love VW, but I'm like, no, man. You know, uh, he he's not going to be a starter. No, he's
2: uh, not that dude. He just
3: has too many athletic limitations. But VW knew what he was talking about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd love to see. The Steelers, and then you want to talk about coaching success? If they can somehow put Robert, uh, Mark Robinson, on that track, and in a mm-hmm. couple years mm-hmm. have him able to play, because he's got more athleticism than Robert Spillane and Vince Williams, yes. he could be. I, I'm I'm not gonna say great, like he could be a, a a a more athletic Robert Spillane. If you could get Mark Robinson, man, he'd be something else. You could get him in coverage to be as good as Robert Spillane. Uh, mm-hmm. like that guy would be dynamic just because of what he brings in the run game. You would have your buck linebacker set and you'd be in good shape there.
3: In my opinion, if you watch Robertson and maybe it's where he was a running back, you know, previous, um, he, he really has good short area quickness and, you know, he's maybe a four or six guy, but you know, he's not slow. You no. know, there's a lot of the, the top linebackers run about that, you know, uh, in middle linebacker right now. Uh, you know, his thing that slows him down is the hesitation because he doesn't recognize what he's seeing right off. Once he gets that, I think he could be better at coverage than V or Spillane ever has been, because yeah. he does have better movement. Uh and we know that he's so physical and he likes to bring the pain. And especially for a Steelers inside linebacker, you know, he could be the, he could be beloved in the city of Pittsburgh. Oh, if yeah. he just, you know. Spalane's still living off that hit he put on Henry against the <laughs> Titans. I mean, right. you know, you don't forget that. And I expect Robinson to have some of them explosive hits, uh, especially more and more as he gets experience.
2: All right. We're going to take our break here, uh, have a little commercial break, and when we get back, we're going to talk and move on to the offensive coaching staff. Uh, so everyone stay tuned here, for, and we'll be right back. We're here, we're, we, we just finished talking about the uh, defensive coaches. We're going to talk and switch over to the offensive coaching staff. Um, we're we're going to start with some of the position coaches. The big name this offseason, the big name this past season, uh, has got to be Pat Meyer of offensive uh-huh. coaches. Uh, the job he did, completely, completely rebuilding that offensive line. That great offensive line completely gone. They, the, the, I mean, we saw the, the line get steadily worse even mm-hmm. last season. It was just so bad in 2021. <laughs> uh, and Pat Meyer comes in, new faces, guys in new positions, no one really lining up against next to someone that they've been lining up too much comes in. And by the end of the season, that's a pretty good unit. Uh, you got anything to say about Pat Meyer, Shannon?
3: oh yeah just you you don't even have to wind me up to get me started about meyer um when they hiring uh i was i thought adrian clem listened to him in his interviews i said you know he's got that mentality that i want to see uh the physicality and to move bodies off the line and mm-hmm. i thought that he could bring that mentality back uh but he didn't have the fundamentals and technique down the guys didn't, he, you know, he was not a good teacher that way. Uh, you know, you have to have that. Yeah. And there's different ways to teach. And some, some guys respond to certain coaches and they don't to others. But I wasn't really blown away by Meyer, but you were more than I was. And you talked about his success in the past. And as the season went on, I seen it. And, you know, the combo blocks and the aggressive pass sets. And, you know, there's going to be struggles when you change your concepts like that. And they were reaching and getting off balance to getting, they looked, you know, like uh, uh, the three stooges at times, I yep. guess it'd be five stooges with the offensive line, but they were, you know, just wide open lanes to the quarterback and falling over each other. And I was like, this ain't good in the preseason, but yep. you just started to see it come together. And I knew, I mean, I'd watched Daniel's highlights and uh, some of his gave him, and I'd never seen him struggle like he did early in the preseason and people's yep. like oh this guy might be a bust i'm like yeah we talked about it i mean he's too good to be a bust yeah. I mean, this, this guy is really a talented lineman Well, you've seen that as the year went on and him and cole was a godsend and daniel's mere presence elevated a core for him. uh it helped him have his best season ever and but meyer even got more and and dodson even with their struggles Late in the season, they were r- run blocking great. Yeah, they were, They got back to it. Oh, yeah. They, they was. I don't know how many times you'd see Harris cut back to the left and get outside, and we're always like, he don't have the speed to do that. Well, he does if you block it and you sell it <laughs> off, and, and Moore and Dodson were doing that. So, to me, Meyer is an incredible success. He's easily the offensive coach of the year for the Stellars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very encouraged by that. And I think he'll only do great things if you give him even more talent.
2: I'm going to bring up a guy who's been here a couple – he's been here two years now that I think rivals Pat Meyer with the job he has done. Do you have any idea who I'm going to go with here?
3: Uh, um, No, I don't.
2: (laughs) Alfredo Roberts, tight end coach. Well, Uh, yeah. You you consider – like. To me, uh, look at Zach Gentry, right? First That's two seasons, yeah. the guy, the guy's out there falling over himself. He played like <laughs> he played, he played a total of sixty-nine snaps his entire first two seasons. Two seasons, sixty-nine yeah. plays. Uh, next two seasons, a thousand and fifty. Alfredo Roberts showed up, and all of a sudden Zach Gentry could block. Right, all of a sudden Zach, Zach Gentry can do things. Pat Farbuth came in to the NFL, couldn't block. No. Nah. His fresh his his first season in the NFL, he was a pretty good blocker. They backed off on his blocking a lot this past season, understandably, with him having some concussions, mm-hmm. uh, with them trying to get him out and move him around more. But uh, we we saw development from uh, Connor Hayward. Like every every tight end he's coaching mm-hmm. is doing good. So I I think Alfredo Roberts is another another kind of like star on the coaching staff here. Uh, which which brings me to uh to something something you have brought up with uh if you've got your if you've got your team and you're a run heavy team and you want to be a run heavy team Mm -hmm. which they're going to have to if you if you if Matt Canada is your offensive coordinator uh you're looking to run the ball Mm -hmm. you're not sitting there saying we want to be you know the the Peyton Manning Colts if you've Mm -hmm. hired uh Matt Canada as your offensive coordinator you got Pat Meyer on the offensive line you've got Alfredo Roberts coaching your tight ends Shannon is tight end a position you could see the Steelers adding another playmaker to?
3: Well, yeah, is an article come out today. Uh, and I make the suggestion about, we're looking for best player available. As yep. a rebounding team with so many holes, you know, we, we all know that, you know, certain offensive line positions, but not all offensive line positions are worthy of the 17th pick. A tackle, yep. yes. You know, some guards, but there's very few center usually don't go that high well then you look at the defensive line this year there's a lot of good second to fourth round grades not a lot of first round grades none of the inside linebackers is 17th is being rated that high um Simpson out of Clemson you know is is pretty much looked at as the number one inside linebacker and he's looking at late first early second so who are you going to start looking at Cornerbacks, there's three right now. I think the Stewards will take any of the three. But if you look at a lot of the mocks, they're gone by the 17th pick. Mm-hmm. So just thinking outside the box, you know, everybody's like Jordan Addison, Jordan Addison. Well, they're one to pattern, I guess, around the Cincinnati Bengals rebuilding strategy. It worked, but that's lightning in a bottle. That's a one time thing. You're talking about a Heisman Trophy championship quarterback with yep. his number one receiver, who was the fifth pick in the draft the next year, you know, that's not Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, um, there, you know, we look at James Washington and, and, um, Mason Rudolph, where you look at, there's a lot of different guys out there that they tried to pair up the, the quarterback with the wide receiver and it doesn't always translate to the NFL. I don't want to gamble the Steelers rebuild on when there is maybe better options. So my argument was, look at a guy like Michael Meyer, who's probably about the only tight end that was going to be considered anywhere from 15 to 25 in that range. And he is like a bigger version of Pat Firemuth. He's They call him Baby Gronk. He's he's a little bigger, a little stronger, probably about the same speed, maybe even faster than Firemuth. Uh, If you have two top-level tight ends, You because we know that Canada's strengths is running a coordinating game. Mm -hmm. You put two tight ends that can block, and Meyer can block. Because right now, you got gentry. Now, I love gentry. I mean, at one time, he looked like a drunk baby giraffe out there. (laughs) I mean, he was staggering around, he would just get tipped and he would fall over, you know, tripping
2: over his own feet, man. Yeah,
3: exactly. But but he has really come so far. And like you said, Roberts deserves a lot of credit for that, but so does. Gentry, because he has built his body. He looks nothing like he did as a rookie. Nothing. Uh as you said, firemuth has worked hard obviously on his blocking and his strength. And then Hayward just improved through the season. And that is I think a lot of that's got to go on Roberts. Yeah. Uh so when I couldn't I couldn't think of who you might be putting up there near Meyer, but you're right. Roberts did a great job. But all I'm saying is there's a the Daryl Washington kid out of Georgia who's tall like Gentry but he's a better athlete and he's much better run after the catch. You know, so uh, you got Kincaid out of Utah. There is guys that can be in the second or third round, but I was throwing out there, best player available. If you could get a generational talent, who's at the top of his position as a prospect, maybe the only guy left at 17 that you could say that about would be Meyer. Now 90% of everybody in the community realized what I was saying. You had a few people that were like, we don't need a tight end. We got fire from you. But what you got to think about is how many guys have we seen their careers end because of concussions? Mm-hmm. Luke Kingsley walked away. Uh, Willis for the 49ers walked away. A lot of guys walk away because they realize the impact and the potential for CTE. And if they start getting them concussions that easy, they're like, hey, I'm I'm going to walk away. If you take a first round tight end, that's the insurance in case Firemuth does go down for an extended period of time, or heaven forbid, has to leave the NFL. Because I think Pickett is the kind of quarterback that connects with a tight end. Yeah. We see that connection with him or Firemuth already. And mm-hmm. as the season went on, they started working the middle of the field more. He was always there for him on third downs. You know, that is a, a as I, we always say, a security blanket. For a quarterback. And, and it just, uh Pickett is that kind of guy. He's not a guy that's going to do the Mahomes or the Allen or the uh Herbert stuff, you know, with this a superhuman talent. He is a very talented quarterback. Yeah. But he needs structure. He needs yep. the right scheme. Well, Canada, even if he gets Addison, is he going to know what to do with him? <laughs> I mean, he, he yeah. really hasn't shown yeah. that. But well, and- you get... You get so like, a big body give, tight end. Yeah, if you give him a tight end, he knows that's part of his run game package. And he can do a lot more with that. And he's shown that in the past. So that was the whole premise of the article. But um, I would like to say, especially if they lose the Gentry, look at uh, somebody in those first four rounds. Because there is yeah. some good tight ends in this class.
2: Uh, and I think in that case, if you're getting... If you're putting when you draft a player high, if you're drafting a player on, on their potential, stuff like that, even if you're going second, third round with a tight end who has a lot of potential, one of the things you have to think about is who do we have coaching them? Mm-hmm. And right now, yeah, you got a pretty good coach. Mm-hmm. You got you got a coach who right now is showing, man, he's he's turning young guys into NFL players. Con- Connor Hayward's a more dangerous receiver this year and for the Steelers than he was for Michigan State. Yeah. Like the the plays he was making. Uh fantastic. Fantastic work. Alfredo Roberts, you gotta give a lot of credit to that guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I I for one would love to see man, you give Steelers a, the Steelers a two-headed tight end with Connor Hayward still as your third. Well, you know, you, you gotta package yeah. Yeah. be a monster. Mm-hmm. Be a mon like how do you cover that? How do you deal with that? Go ahead. Bring in bring in defensive backs to try and cover our tight ends in the pass game, and we'll run right down your throat. We'll run down your throat all day. Bring linebackers. Good luck.
3: I said something in the article that we've talked about on here with different guests. And it isn't about how many receivers you got or how many of this you got. It's how many weapons you got. Mm-hmm. And in the hands of a adequate offensive coordinator, you know, you can utilize them weapons and create these mismatches. And like you was talking about with Hayward, you know, move him around, H back, put him out in the slot. You can do whatever. And, you know, he come through with some big plays late in the season. I mean, he's got excellent hands. He's tough. Uh, you know, he's a willing blocker. Uh, he's He'll never have the size to be a dominant, but he's great at shielding and turning and setting the edge and crackback blocks, you know, uh, inside. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, if you have – you can never have too many weapons wh- wherever they are. Yep.
2: Yep. All right. So, moving on. We're going to go to Eddie Faulkner, running backs coach. Uh, I think you have to say he's done a solid job. Obviously, he's had Najee. Uh, I think Najee's been pretty much the same runner. I mean, there's not really much difference there. Jalen Warren, uh, it's hard because these guys kind of hit the ground running as rookies, both of them. Uh, Obviously, Najee struggled when his foot wasn't right uh, after the bye week came back and and looked like he was a – You know, had had a new spirit to him, had a little bit of, had had a little more confidence on cutting and and his play. Uh, Any thoughts on Eddie Faulkner? I I think he's done solid, but I don't think there's too much we can really even judge about him.
3: I really can't judge Faulkner, nor could, as I said last week, I can't judge any of the running backs, Uh, and that goes to the quarterbacks and wide receivers because the offensive line was so bad. Yeah, you know, you didn't really know what they were capable of. Because his running backs, they just wasn't any holes. There ain't any. They wasn't any rushing lanes until this year. Yeah. And and Meyer, you know, made such a difference in in the Daniels and Cole and and all that. But um, I think that you know, I, late in the season, I finally thought that Harris looked like a first round running back. You know, I was like, man, is, did they miss on this? You know, because if you take a running back in the first round, he's got to be special. Yeah, uh, you know, regular thousand Pro Bowls, all that stuff, to justify that. Well, we see the leadership qualities Harris has, and the competitiveness, and the, just the quality young man. Uh, and he runs so hard to get them twelve hundred yards in twenty twenty one. Well, this year he wasn't running the same, and I understand part of it was the still plate in the foot injury. I I, I see that, but. He really changed and turned it around at the bye week. And people said, well, it's the classic competition and different things. But he said during the bye week that he'd had a conversation. And I don't know which coaches, if it was Tomlin, if it was Faulkner, who it was. But they had approached him about, you know, running and keeping momentum and staying north and south. And you've seen that. The second half of the season, that's what he returned to. And yep. he even took it to the next level because those last few weeks, he would find congestion at the line and he would high step over it, not slow down, not try to hurdle. He would just high step over, keep that momentum. And even if they got a hand on him, tripped him up a little bit, he's getting six, seven yard gains out of it. Yep. That was just a mentality uh, that we know he has. I mean, he has he the toughness and you've seen the talent. Like I said, I didn't think he had the speed to get outside on them cutbacks like he did late in the season. So yeah. maybe what I thought was a lack of speed was really a lack of blocking, which we knew that was the problem. Um, Faulkner did a great job with Jalen Warren. He looked to me like he was even better than he had been at Oklahoma State, which I had watched him previous. Um, you know, he really come on. And, you know, somebody worked with him because in the preseason and at camp, you know, we'd read the camp notes each yep. day, and they're saying Warner put the Warren put the ball on the ground again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, especially as a rookie, if you do that, you ain't playing.
2: Yeah, not playing with top. You you aren't playing for Mike Tomlin if you're fumbling.
3: Nope. And I was like, that's not good. And I figured he, he ain't gonna make it to the preseason games. And then he had to, you know, he made it. You could see his talent, but then he fumbled in the preseason. Boy, you if you I haven't looked it up, but i I would dare to bet that if you take total fumbles between Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, and anybody else there that played, Benny Snell and McFarland, the Steelers had less fumbles from their running backs than any team in the league. I'd be willing to bet that. So you, well, you, you had you've got to give uh him credit for that.
2: Yeah. You had a total of four. Yeah. Najee had three. And Jalen Warren had one, and Najee had about three times the carries of Jalen Warren. So they they both fumbled something like one point one percent of the time, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so not bad. Not That's bad important
3: for a team that you know ball security was so crucial because oh, yeah. you know you know any self inflicted wounds they just couldn't overcome it.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Fumbles lost. Uh, Steelers had the fifth fewest. Yeah, last yeah. season, and and. As most teams, they were led by their quarterback. Uh strip sacks are the leading cause of some fumbles in the NFL. Yeah. Uh so but so how yeah, many Pickett did Pickett have?
3: Did it say? What? How many did Pickett have? I only remember like two times he put the he ball in. Huh? He had four. Okay, maybe he lost two or something. I can't remember, but
2: yeah. Yeah, but it, not many. That's, that's not that's, bad that's for not... baby hands. That's that's less that's less than Ben Roethlisberger used to have. That's ben Roethlisberger so, yeah. always had him, but that's like, he was always like,
3: and yeah, people, yeah, he was always in, yeah,
2: doing yeah. stuff. He was he's trying to extend plays. He would fumble, teeth in them out. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the quarterback coaches? They have two quarterback coaches. I want to break this up. Two quarterback coaches listed: Mike Sullivan, quarterback yeah. coach, and then David Corley, assistant quarterback coach. This is an interesting one. He played at William and Mary for Tomlin's old coach Mm. at William and Mary where they were, they were known to be the, the reason people went there. One of the things uh, that coach was known for was developing quarterbacks. Mm. Uh, Tomlin's old coach developed quarterbacks. Well, this guy went there, played quarterback and then started coaching right after he graduated college. Mm -hmm. He started going into coaching. Uh, He was brought in, I think this season to be the Steelers assistant quarterback coach. He's been out. of He was like, it was a early two thousands. He was there. So he's been into coaching about, you know, 16 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is his first NFL job was here as an assistant quarterback's coach. Uh, clearly as a connection for, at William and Mary with Tomlin and Tomlin's mm-hmm. old coach. Uh, but I, I wanted to bring that up. That's an interesting one is he's kind of, the Steelers gave that guy a shot to kind of get his career started as a quarterback coach. But, uh, Mike Sullivan quarterback coach, do we do we have any grounds to judge him? Like what, 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 do we, what do we, what do we say about Mike Sullivan here?
3: I think Sullivan's done a good job. Um, uh, you know, when right in the middle of the season, you know, just frustrated with everything with offense. So just started looking at some of the coaches and uh, I remember Corley, I'm like, who's that? You know, I, yeah. didn't even, I hadn't even heard of him. And I'm like, he's young. You know, he, he's pretty young compared to yep. the rest of the Steelers positional coaches. And sometimes that's good to have with a young quarterback. You know, have that, you know, more of a relationship um, mm-hmm. uh, and a connection that way. Whereas your your older coach is kind of like a mentor, father figure type a lot of times. and you know, Tomlin's not an expert in, as a quarterback coach. He's never had to be, you know, he inherited work So I think he really leaned on Sullivan. And I think Sullivan did a really good job. If you watch, I watch a lot of times, like when they, you know, Pickett was just throwing interceptions left and right early in the season. And he would come over to the sideline and, you know, Tomlin didn't stop him coming off the field and chew him out. Or, you know, uh, he just kind of let him go back there and talk with Sullivan and and Corley and and they um uh, uh I, I mean I assume Corley was there. I don't know, he might have been in the box, but but you see him talking with Sullivan. And Sullivan was that guy that could, would communicate between Canada and Pickett. Mm-hmm. And I think that that it's that relationship, that's an important relationship. And you've seen that the way they handled it, it helped Pickett keep his confidence. Because those passes were being complete in college, you know, but it's just they're just that much better in the NFL, the defensive backs. Um, you think about his two first two interceptions, it hit Claypool in the hands, but as Claypool was trying to bring it in, the, the guy reached up and tipped it up in the air, and it got intercepted by the safety. Then the next one, he's trying to throw it to where either Fryermuth's going to catch it or it's going to go out of bounds. Well, Fermi's got up high and got his hands on it right when he was getting hit, so the ball just kind of bounced up in there and it got intercepted. Kind of bad luck, you know. Yeah. But it just seemed like that he did, that just kept happening, and um, but they stayed consistent with him and they let him keep his confidence, and then they paid off it later in the year. So I think Sullivan is is done an excellent job, and so to me that says the Corley's done a good job behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, I think you have to look at uh, the development of Kenny Pickett in the second half after the bye week, really taking care of the football, really being smart, showing like uh, taking it it back, being more conservative, and then building off of that as you get towards the end of the season where he added in a few more downfield throws, got a little more out of him. I think you saw a lot of growth from Kenny Pickett. Uh, as as someone has uh, pointed out in the live chat, obviously it's the players, right? First and foremost, it's the players. If they don't put in work, if they don't have talent, it doesn't matter. They're not improving. Uh, but when those players look to improve, when those players look at a thing and say, "I need to get better at whatever," mm-hmm. who do they go to? Yeah, they like they don't they don't go to themselves and look in the mirror and say, "Hey, mm-hmm. Kenny." How do we improve our footwork? How do we, you know, how do we how do we do better at being more consistent on our throws? How do I how do I keep passes from sailing them? They coaches are that's what coaches are there for. Quarterback coaches are one thing quarterback coaches do is they sit there and watch film of your delivery and they watch your bad throws and sit there and watch your throws and say, Okay, what about this throw is different? What's causing this ball to sit? And they come and they tell the quarterback and they work on it. these, these are the kind of things. These guys do is they help these players get better. So when you have a Kenny Pickett who is developing like he did, clearly he's got somebody. He's got mm-hmm. somebody that's doing a good job uh, of being there and supporting him and helping
3: him. Uh, so we're at something you something you brought up earlier. When's the last time you heard your quarterback go to your defensive coordinator and say, "Hey, you know what are they trying to do to me here? What am I? Uh, yeah, what are y'all looking for?" you know, when you're trying to cause this mass confusion, I mean, that is just shows a level of maturity that, you know, we talk about all these other things that they could grade and measure at the combine, but that level of commitment uh, and maturity is, is something that is invaluable. And that'll set up a, a part of a guy who's going to be, you know, a Kirk cousins or a Derek Carr from being that next level.
2: Yeah. I I wanna I wanna get into this. someone just comment. We're 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 ready to transition and start talking. We're talking about Kenny Pickett, we're ready to talk about Matt Canada. Before we <laughs> when we we were getting into this, I, I want to start with this because this has made a big headlines around uh it's been all over. Uh Ben Roethlisberger's podcast where he had Pat Fryermuth on. Mm-hmm. And Pat Fryermuth said one of the comments he made was, uh, I'm trying to remember Ben Roethlisberger asks him what's different, right? And he's kind of joking around. Ben's, Ben's kind of like ribbing him. He's been mm-hmm. giving Pat Fryermuth a hard time here for quite a little bit of the show, right? Talk And uh, he, t- he asked him kind of almost jokingly, like, what's the difference between uh, like playing with for Kenny Pickett and playing for me? Like basically, you know, like, like messing with him. Mm-hmm. And what Pat does, he's like, no, I was actually telling Kenny, like one of the biggest differences is we don't have checks. Mm-hmm. We don't have hots. We don't have these calls that he's making after he goes up to the line. And he's like, with you, it was all the time. Yeah. It was all the time. Ben had all kinds of checks where he's changing things at the line. You line up and Ben's like, boom, dude. He saw like there's the, there was the face mask mm-hmm. tug. There's like a look. There's like a thing. There's all these different things Ben mm-hmm. had that if he did, it was changing the play. And he's like, we didn't have that with Kenny. That made the rounds. People were like, holy crap. Matt Canada's offense doesn't have hot reads like any offense has hot reads. What's up with this guy? How dumb is he? The thing I watched the whole podcast because I wanted to make sure like I understood what was being said there immediately after Pat Friermuth says that Ben Roethlisberger's comment is Kenny will get there, right? He's going to learn that. And Pat Friermuth was like, yeah, oh yeah, Kenny's going to get there. And then they move on Mm -hmm. from that. One of the other things, and and then very shortly thereafter, Pat Firemouth mentions how Kenny Pickett became more confident and more effective in the two-minute drill as the season went on. Mm -hmm. And how really, like early in the season, he'd go up there, you could tell he wasn't Mm -hmm. really comfortable running the offense, doing this stuff when it was more on him, right? And he said by the end of the season, he was getting there. And I I think we're seeing a quarterback who – was thrust in, mm-hmm. wasn't really ready, wasn't really confident with it. We know we've heard him talking about uh Canada's, you know, going to him and asking him what he's comfortable with, them having conversations about what to add, what to focus on. I, I think you're seeing a quarterback who had tra- who really had training wheels on all season. And I know people say he's more, you know, NFL ready, mm-hmm. but but a lot of that he he didn't have checks. And if people and people want to say that's on Matt Canada, okay, Maybe, you know you could say Matt Canada's got to get him ready. You've got to change how you approach developing the quarterbacks. Kenny Pickett has to be able to audible out of a play mm-hmm. or or have a hot, hot route by the, before you start him in an NFL game. Like I understand that if you're if you want to blame coaches for that, I understand. Uh, but I don't think this is a case where it's Matt Canada's offense just doesn't have this stuff. They had it the year before. Pat Firemuth had him the year before, like he didn't this year. Both both are both are back Canada.
3: I think a lot of it, uh, you know, from all we watched, you know, some of that has to go on Tomlin. You yeah. know, Tomlin didn't want a rookie quarterback start, and nope. even though I think Pickett beat him out, played better than Trubisky in the preseason, uh, he never got really any reps with that first team. Yeah, so his first reps with. Claypool, Fryermuth, Johnson, Harris, all these guys was in the first game he played in against the Jets in week four. Yeah, like really had very little. Yeah, so Canada, you know, that was Tomlin's decision who was going to be a starting quarterback. Uh, The fact that they didn't give uh, Rudolph got more reps with the, the ones than Pickett did. So that tells you that the plan was not to start Pickett until maybe deep into the season, you know, we talked about after the back. Um, so, some of that's on Tom. But Pickett, it's hard to give, you know, you can't expect Pickett to be being, uh, you know, an 18 year veteran versus a rookie who didn't even get reps of the first team uh, starters during, the, you know, the preseason. Um, I, I think that looking back, you know, hindsight, uh, I wish that they might have been a little bit more aggressive and, Say, okay, it's a true quarterback competition. I think Pickett won it. I think he could have started because uh, Trubisky, with his experience, would have been a good backup. Instead, yeah. you start Trubisky and your backup, you're bringing in as a rookie, you know, with no reps with the first team and didn't have any audibles or hot reads and stuff. Um, so it doesn't shock me that the offense struggled like it did. Um, my whole thing with Canada is. His play design, as much as his play calling, you know, not scheming guys open, having multiple guys in the same area where it makes them easier to cover and makes any throw to either one of the receivers dangerous because you got both of them defenders there. Uh, You know, he he doesn't do a good job of spreading the field. They roll out to the right, and he'll have one option sometimes to throw it or or run for, you know, try not to get sacked, and run for a yard or two. There needs to be more creativity. Uh, we see how good he is as run game coordinator. Uh, the Steelers obviously want him back, so they believe that Canada has ability to work with uh, Pickett. Pickett spoke highly of him, yep. you know, after the season, and I think he's comfortable with him, and the Steelers want to give him another year of that and see what kind of growth they can have. And maybe, you know, with having more faith in Pickett going into this second year, we'll see a little bit more of a modern NFL passing attack. That's what we got to hope for. Uh, Because I, I believe that Ben's success was when he did those hot reads and all. He checked out of Canada's calls, and that's why the Steelers had the success they did have. Because the offense looked incredibly similar with Trubisky and Pickett this year at the beginning. Even though they have mobility and they had a better offensive line and everything else, the offense still looked the same. So that tells me that's Canada's offense. Uh, and, you know, he was needing those players that they brought in uh, the to give him the things that supposedly he was missing. It took them, you know, a good part of the season before they hit their stride. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still holding that hope. I, I don't have a lot of faith. I think Canada puts a ceiling on what they'll be able to accomplish as a passing offense next year. I think there'll be improvement, but I do think he's, he said Sicilian that until they bring in a passing game coordinator, they're not going to get passed.
2: Okay. Uh, is it, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I do. Matt Canada's passing game is, is not why he's here. No. Uh, in my mind, he is here. Same reason Pat Meyer came in They they The Steelers had an idea that they wanted to change how they run the ball. They wanted to come in and be able to run the ball with their next quarterback and not, do what they did with Ben. You, the offense the last couple of years with Ben, even going back, you go back to 2017, 2018, and you look at what Ben Roethlisberger did, how many times he threw the ball. You can't ask, You can't go to a rookie quarterback and be like, hey, buddy, throw the ball 600 times this season and yeah. expect to have any kind of success. That's, that's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, so I think the Steelers really sat and said, hey, we want this different run game. If you look at the NFL, uh, most of the teams that were in the final eight teams run outside zone stuff uh they had something like three of the three of the teams had uh two of the two of the conference championship games teams had wide receivers run the ball in those games yeah like that's that's nfl that's that's there uh kansas city does it san francisco does it uh the eagles have done it they didn't do it in their championship game but you see these guys that they do these kind of offenses they've run this stuff if you can't if you can't run the ball like outside zone, you you don't you're not gonna run the ball that much in the NFL anymore. So I think they knew they needed to change that. That was one thing they wanted. Matt Canada gives them the ability to do that. That's his focus. That's why he's here. Uh he's not here for his passing game, but I think <laughs> another big part of that was the amount of youth. Uh-huh. The amount of first if you take out the first and second year players from this offense. The, the the main players on this offense you're you're left with who like who do, you have deontay johnson mm-hmm. really that's it that's the only real player they really had it was him and chase claypool to start uh fryer harris their second year jalen warren george pickens rookies kenny pickett a rookie connor hayward's a rookie like you have a lot of really young players mm-hmm. uh they they simplified it all and and to tell you the truth i If you're going to blame one thing for this offense turning out like it did, I I think you have to go back in my mind to Mitch Trubisky. Just really not working out. Mm -hmm. That did not work. They signed him in to come in here and be the quarterback for the first season of Kenny Pickett. They brought him in here to start, and that did not work. It did not work out. It's bad enough when you have a rookie quarterback uh, and you're only getting one touchdown a game. It's worse when you've signed a veteran and you're paying him starter money. You're paying him to be that starter. You've promised him that job, and your team's getting one touchdown a game. That's not acceptable. That's bad. And that offense under him, like you look at the drive stats, you look at the numbers, it was bad. It, if you look at, good. but if
3: you listen to PFF, he was the highest rated stiller player on offense. Yeah, and and people, you know, like oh, he was great. He just got a, you know, didn't get a fair shake. I think that that Tomlin handcuffed him and just kept pounding in his head ball security, ball security, ball security, because he would have a game every once in a while against the Bears when he played for the Bears that he would just light it up, you know, and have three or four hundred yards and three or four touchdowns, and then he would have the three or four interception game too. Yep, but because he was wildly inconsistent. Well, we all hope that that would change with the experience, but. When they handcuffed him, the offense was anemic. An when you yeah. let him, when you turn him loose, when he come in against the Buccaneers, he looked really, really good. When he played against the Ravens and he come in that game, he's moving the ball. He's making some great passes, but then he inexplicably throws it to them three times. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. Yeah, And I hope that he would, you know, that he had matured, but I think that's just who he's going to be. So, even if he sticks around as a backup, he has to, you know, risk assessment and yeah. he has to, because those against the Ravens, they were in the red zone. Oh, and, was and it was just killer. It was killer. Yeah. It killed him that game. You, so, you
2: take, you take any single one of those interceptions away yeah. and the Steelers win that game. Yeah. Like you, you do, like, like, like you want to talk about a game like that's, That, to me, that game was actually worse. I mean, if you remove the fact that Neil O'Donnell played in the Super Bowl, it was worse. That was, like, that was (laughs) more inexplicably bad than Neil O'Donnell's Super Bowl. To me, it's just one was in a Super Bowl and one was in a division game. Like, it's a very different thing. Uh, But that was just, oh, that was bad. Hmm. All right. Um, Anyone else we are left with? Do we cover the wide receiver coach, Frisman Jackson? No, um, uh, I think he is what's left. He's the last one. Now this one is rough to call because <laughs> you have a, you have a very simplified passing game from a not good pass game offensive coordinator with a rookie quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, what, what, how do you view Frisman Jackson? Cause this was, First year, right? This is his first year on the job or second?
3: I thought it was his second, but it might be his first.
2: I mean, I'll check that. Go ahead. You talk about him. I'm going to check.
3: One of the things that frustrate me, uh, coaches, you know, you got to coach the fundamentals. And I just see the Steelers receivers, the George Pickens' hand placement on low throws across the middle. He wasn't doing it like everybody else. I mean, he was catching some of them, but he also dropped some, you know, earlier in the year because of his hand placement, you know, being top hand uh, heavy. Then you have uh, half-hearted efforts on some routes. They know they ain't the primary receiver. Uh, not working across the field to give your quarterback uh, another throwing option when he gets outside the pocket. Uh, Claypool was the world's worst to just stand next to the defensive back. Uh, you know, I think he kind of did a little better this year on that where he kept moving. But uh, you know, of course Deontay Johnson running backwards, uh running out of bounds before contact. Um you know, you catch that many passes and get that many targets. You're telling me you couldn't have slipped one tackle and took it the distance, but no, he couldn't. Because I mean you'd watch it. I mean, he they was times he caught the ball, run backwards got back to where he originally caught the ball and went straight out of bounds on those, you know, nobody's like, well, he was catching him comebacks and there wasn't any opportunity for run after the catch." There's always opportunity for run after the catch. You might have to break a tackle sometime, you know, you might have to take a little contact. So there's things that I've seen the wide receivers do. That makes me question, uh, you know, what is being taught, you know? So, if any of the offensive positional coaches, I'm not talking about Canada, but any of the positional coaches, he would be the one I would have the most questions about.
2: Yeah. I just look at he, he was, this is his only season. Okay. He was signed, uh, February 8th, 2022. So he's been there one week short of a year. Uh, not, not the best first year to have. <laughs> I was looking up. I, I, I would go back to it, man, that, that ESPN analysis on, uh, on the advanced stats, I I love it uh, where, where they rated every player on, on getting open, on catching the ball and run after the catch. None of the Steelers rank well in run after the catch. But George Pickens was the highest rated, tied for the highest rated for catching with a 99. And Deontay Johnson was number one in getting open uh, with a 99. Talk about a, a very different room. You've got George Pickens <laughs> yeah. who's never open but catches everything. you got Deontay Johnson who's always open and does not. Uh, that's actually something I'm, I'm currently working on is, uh, breaking down the advanced stats. I did this last year for Deontay Johnson, uh, after he made the pro bowl. And I was like, I can't believe he made the pro bowl. Uh, then, then this year you're know, show basically the same player he was last season. Uh, just, just didn't score touchdowns really. And, uh, I, I, man, I have a hard time judging anything from the wide receivers. I, I, We still, I still don't know who Deontay Johnson is. We still don't know if this guy, like what kind of receiver he is. We know he gets open, but man, it's, it's time to do a little more than, you know, six yards, a target. If -hmm. you're always open, you should be doing a little better than that. Uh, I don't know. I want to see, I think this is one of those seasons. If he, that, that you really should see growth from these wide receivers and you really should see growth from the quarterback. And we really should see a, a much better scheme, a much more from the passing game than we saw this year. If we come out next year and and Matt Canada has better success in the passing game, we can say, okay, okay. Yeah. Maybe, you maybe you overreacted and oversimplified, uh, you know, for the first year quarterback, maybe screwed things up. and And now you're showing you can actually do the job at a competent level. I don't expect we're going to see him doing this and think, wow, that's a top, you know that's Andy Reed out there. That's mm. that's not going to be the case. But you know, I I this is a big chance for this offensive coaching staff to say, hey, you know, Kenny Pickett's gonna be better. George Pickens is gonna learn how to run routes. Deontay Johnson, you know, maybe, maybe improve. it would be nice. <laughs> uh but man, that's that's the big question mark going into next season because if the run game is the same, it's gonna be all in the passing game
3: for this offense to improve. To me, if you look at one guy on offense and one guy on defense that I question their want to, it's Deontay Johnson on offense and Devin Bush on defense. Yep. I did not see that want to uh, to compete. You know, I mean, uh, I actually was surprised watching other teams when their receiver would get over near the sidelines and then he would explode into the corner. And try to break through, you know, to for a long game. We've seen Pat Frairmuth do it. We've seen uh you know Harris do it. We've you know, but our receivers, Pickens never got the chance because everything was a contested jump ball, it seemed like. But you know he has that fight in him, mm-hmm. but Dante Johnson never the only time I think he wanted to score a touchdown that last game so bad when he caught that ball and he kind of fought and drugged the guy a couple yards and went down at the one-yard line, you could kind of tell he really was trying to get in the end zone. But I know he's not big. I mean, he's a smaller receiver. Yeah. But still, with explosiveness and that quickness he has, if you can surprise the guy sometimes and they'll miss a tackle, it happens. I don't remember him making anybody miss I mean, as far as breaking a tackle. Yeah. And and uh, the guy's too talented that, to, for me to say that. But I just don't remember it all season. So um, you know, they gotta find that want to. Hopefully, Bush finds the want to somewhere else, and Johnson will come into the camp and have his want to.
2: That would be nice. That <laughs> would be nice. I, I I still I always think back to the days where Antonio Brown uh was here and they would talk, and uh our wide receiver coach, man. I just lost his name, uh, the really old guy from Alabama. Would would always say we're going to take him in there. We're going to drill them, and we're going to work on. We're going to work out the drops. Was it man Yeah, Richard Man. Yeah, right. Richard Man. And they, it would happen a couple yeah. years by. Players not dropping passes like they used to. We're not. We're still seeing problems here. Deontay yeah. Johnson to this day, you see a ball if he's running. You know, <laughs> if he's running one way and the ball is thrown a little bit behind his head, like head level, a little yeah. bit behind it, he's not catching that. He's just, it was that way in college. That was a weakness he had in college. That's a weakness he has 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. He's had four years in the NFL. Yeah. Still drops those same passes. Like you set him up, do that. Boom, throw, you know, launch him 80 miles an hour in his head. Teach yeah. him to catch that. Just You know, like that's what judge machines are for. And I don't, I, I don't get that that just doesn't,
3: it doesn't happen.
2: It I think just, he's. It I think gotten he's gotten better.
3: I think he's afraid of contact. I mean, when have you ever seen him get blown up? Yeah. I mean, I've seen him catch the ball, get up near a first down, and go down before he took a big lick, where he could have maybe fought for that extra yard and got the first down. I, I think that he it's self preservation, and yeah. and you know and there's one reason he's been successful at 100 and whatever he is 75 pounds. He is not big. But sometimes you have to give that extra effort.
2: Yep. All right. And we're going to stop there. Our, our, our coaches, our coaches of the year on offense, it's Pat Meyer. Yep. On defense, it's Grady Brown in the secondary. Offensive line and secondary, both of them had a lot of challenges yep. uh, and, and both played really good down the stretch mm-hmm. uh, and stood out. Uh, those two are our coaches of the year this year. And uh, I, I think are you are you m- I'm gonna say are you more confident with the defensive coaching staff or the offensive coaching staff as it is currently
3: constructed? Well, because of Matt Canada, I could easily <laughs> say I'm more confident with the defensive coaches.
2: Yeah, as if it, when it's Matt Canada. As long as Brian Flores is on the defense, Matt yes. Canada is still on the offense. I think I think most people are gonna say uh, defensive coaching. They're more yeah. they're more comfortable with and more confident with. All right. And you got anything coming up, Shannon, that you want to talk, tell everyone about?
3: No. Uh, like I said, I've just been, uh, the this last article was, uh, uh, you know, like I said, trying to offer a discussion topic and, and, you know, to kind of get us into the off season mode and what to look for in the draft. So uh, we had a great discussion thread and, and really good response. And I really do appreciate that. But, I haven't started working on my next article yet, so um, I was looking forward to this, and uh, it was it, I think it was an excellent show, and I really had a good time.
2: All right, I got uh, Vertex coming out. This this where Dave Schofield and I are going through uh, the Steelers' free agents. This one's about Terrell Edmonds, so look for that. That should be coming out tomorrow. Uh, and then I'm working on it. I don't know exactly how soon it's going to come out but I'm working on uh wide receivers some advanced stats looks at the wide receivers and really trying to to break them down and understand them better looking at the numbers and where they where they excel and where they don't uh so that's that's something that's a project I'm working on uh that I'm excited to see some of the stuff about especially with George Pickens I always love looking at these uh the, the, some of these numbers and and getting and looking at looking at where they fall and trying to dig more out of the numbers than just what's on the surface. Uh, So stay tuned for that. It's it's gotta be sometime this weekend, or I'm going to have to come up with an extra article to write if I don't get it done. Uh, So, so look for that. Um, But that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone in the live chat. Uh, Love, love reading your comments. And uh, thank you, Shannon, for coming out with us, even though you weren't feeling the best today uh it was a good time we had a good show Mm -hmm. uh as always thank you for listening have a great week and let's go Steelers
3: it is Ryan here and I have a question
0: for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper